Now, I know enough people that I think I can make a couple of safe assumptions. I've had enough interactions in 37 years of life, right? 37? Sometimes I have to think. I'm like, how old? I'm becoming that guy. I don't know when that happened. Yikes. I don't know anyone, I don't know anyone that instinctively enjoys someone confronting them that instinctively enjoys, even if it's legitimate, someone confronting dysfunction or someone who confronts uh, some area of hypocrisy or disconnect. I don't know anyone that goes, yeah, like even with people that we love, as soon as the conversation starts and we know it's about to go in that direction, we're like, our heart starts racing and the walls start to come up. Like even someone who we know we care about and they care about us, when we start going in that place, we start to go, Oh, I don't want to do this. And even if we know they love us and we know intellectually, okay, this is a good thing, we can struggle with it. It's hard for each of us to be confronted by anything in us that we don't necessarily love or like or wish was different. And yet that correction is essential for us to grow. Because in order for us to course correct, if our trajectory of our life is going in a different direction than it should be, in order for us to change anything, we need people that love us to confront in us, challenge us. This is why marriage as God designed it is beautiful and difficult. This is why so many people, they get married and then they get through all the stages where things are easy and it's difficult. And then they go, I did not sign up for this. Because marriage, as it should be, is your, your two individuals following and seeking Jesus in every area of your life together. And what I've learned to be true is that sometimes God does things first in Lee before he does in me and vice versa. And so then it creates some tension. Because Lee's like, you know, I've really learned this and I think maybe there's some areas for you to grow here. And you're like, I'm fine. I'm great. And then vice versa, you say something and, and you find yourself challenged. But this is also why marriage, as God designed it, is beautiful. Husband and wife together going, ah, we're going we're gonna to search and seek with everything that we have who God is and allow our rough edges to be sanded and worked off together. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also incredibly difficult but over time, and if you spend time with people that have really done this, that have put in the work, we had this conversation with Jeff and Jody where you have people that are like, you know, I'd love to have a marriage like you have. And they're like, yeah, are you willing to pay the price of that? Because that's years and years and years of sacrificial love, dying to yourself, being willing to have the difficult conversations. But over time, if we live like that, we become the kind of people that sacrificial love is a more natural response to us. The confrontation in those environments is something that can be difficult. Loving confrontation is essential for us to grow, but living like this is exceptionally difficult. It's really hard. And so the very thing that we need, we avoid. And I was thinking about this in the context of our faith. In order for us to grow, if you are in here and you would call yourself a follower of the way of Jesus or you'd use Christian or disciple, if, that, if that's you, at some level you find yourself in this place of tension 
Because you can do certain things and get to a place where you go, I've pretty much got some things sorted out. And then you get to a point where now suddenly God wants to work on all your blind spots and all the areas in your life that are out of alignment. And sometimes we can struggle with that. We can struggle with looking and coming to Jesus and going, I don't know if I want you to say the difficult things to me. This is why we see a tendency to, to make Jesus into our own image, not letting him be who he is according to what we find in Scripture. We try to soften him into something else. Because the truth is, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, most of us are fairly comfortable with nice guy Jesus. Buddy Jesus, he's so loving, and he is. But the way that we define love in 2023 is different than the way that Jesus actually expresses that love. And so we can be good. We're like, man, I love nice guy Jesus. Except if I read all about him, and then I go, there's some things in there that challenge me. You know what I'll do? Just ignore them. And, and, and the truth is, all of us do this. All of us have things that we find in the accounts of Jesus that we go, I don't know what to do with that, or that challenges me, I'll just pretend it's not there. And I'll just make Jesus into my image. But the problem is, that's not how Jesus works. Jesus, who is fully man, is also fully God. And Jesus is the one who loves people, and he is the one who helps people, but he's also the one who confronts people. And, and so if we aren't careful, we try to look at areas and then we avoid others where he wants to confront us. And I want us to look at a story that captures this beautifully. As we enter into what Christians for thousands of years has called Holy Week, as we fix our eyes on Easter next week, and, and if you don't know it, we have Good Friday and Easter Sunday services and we'd love for you, for you to join us. But as we prepare our hearts, we shift out of even what we were just doing with our series on generosity, and we shift our mind and our focus to Jesus. And in many church calendars, this Sunday today is what's called Palm Sunday. And if you grew up in church and you were at Sunday school, you remember making palm branches or having palm branches everywhere, and you might not really think about why. Why does that matter? What is important about this? A week out from Jesus' death. And I want to today look at this snapshot in Jesus' life. Now, one of the accounts of Palm Sunday is found in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, let me just give you some context, because I'm going to approach it from a slightly different angle than maybe you might anticipate. So here's Jesus, and Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. And there's a whole group of people that are awaiting him that have palm branches, and they're laying them down. And they're yelling out, declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save me, save now, save us. And so they understand as Jesus is coming into this city that he is the Messiah, the one who can save. It's this beautiful moment where Jesus is doing something really public. And if you look at Matthew before then, what you find is this really interesting pattern that Jesus will do things and then say, shh, don't tell anyone. 
And so in contrast here, you go from Jesus working on the fringes or behind the scenes to Jesus out front. And so he's riding into the city on a donkey, and he's doing it very strategically. With Jesus, no word is wasted, and timing always matters. And so Jesus is walking into Jerusalem on the most holy, at the most holy time of the year, Passover. This is significant. Now, there's so many layers to this that are important, but I want you to understand just the environment of the city that he is walking into. He's walking into a city that is preparing to celebrate the time in history when God showed up in miraculous ways and saved a whole people. And so he walks into the city, or he goes into the city on a donkey, and this whole group of people is, is, is proclaiming, Hosanna, save us. Now notice what happens next. If you turn to Matthew 21, verse 12 to 16. So take a moment, Matthew 21 to 12, 16, 12 to 16. If you have your Bibles, use them, or if you want to use your phone and trust yourself not to flip over to Candy Crush, do it. Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. Now, there's a little bit of like a, that escalated. Like he's walking into, or he's entering into Jerusalem on a donkey. Everyone's yelling Hosanna, and his first thing is he entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what the children, what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Have you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Now, it's important that we understand the context of this verse because it helps us to, to piece together some of the things that are happening. As I mentioned, this is during Passover, and at that time, in ancient Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city itself, was about 50,000 people, which is wild, because you're like, that's a major city, but back then it was. At this time, through Passover, hundreds of thousands of Jewish people would, would go on a journey to come to this holy city, to Jerusalem. So in one moment, in one little bit of time, the population would swell from 50,000 to 200,000, 150,000 people showing up to the city. And, and this, little, this little moment reminds us, because we start to see how Jesus is responding to things that are happening in the temple, it tells us that people are still people, even 2,000 years ago. And so there's a group of people that go, man, tourism is bumping in Jerusalem. We need to leverage this moment. Let's start selling sacrifices, let's sell doves, let's change money. Like even think about that. You have all these people coming from different places. They're like, we're going to need some local coin. They're like, perfect, it'll be a 15% fee plus administration charges. 
And so this group of people are like, this is a great opportunity. We're going to really profit from this holy time. And so they're changing money and they're selling animals for sacrifice. Now, those things aren't inherently bad, but I want you to pay careful attention to where they're doing that. They're not just doing it out in the lobby of the hotels where everyone's staying, the hostels. They're not out in the city squares and they're doing it. Where are they doing it? They're doing it in the temple, the most sacred place for Jewish people. And they're like, this is our chance. Let's make some money. Let's really hustle. Yeah, I know it's God's holy place, but we got to eat. Like, we got to make some money. This is our side hustle. And so here we find Jesus, and he's seeing this, and he is not happy. It says that he entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Now, notice, it's not like passive-aggressive Jesus, where he's like, I can't believe these guys, and he's talking to his friends. Like, they're the worst. He, he goes straight for it. He's flipping tables. In John's account, in another gospel account, he's, he's knitting together a whip. Now, this confronts nice guy Jesus view, right? Like, I've never been in a scenario when I have knitted together a whip <laughs> that I've been, like, really neutral and happy while I'm, like, angry. I don't know about you, but I don't just flip tables in a fit of happiness and excitement, I'm so excited, yeah, happy birthday, Ava and Parker, and I'm flipping tables, cake's going, no, this is anger, like he's flipping tables, he is upset, and he says to the people that are there who are supposed to be responsible for the temple, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, if you have a Bible that has footnotes, you'll find that what he's actually doing here has so many layers. He's saying something that on the, on the surface level seems pretty harsh, but for the group of people that were listening, they're hearing words from Old Testament prophets, and they're like, he's not placing us well here. He's talking about us in a way that does not make us feel nice and good and happy He's saying something to us that is confronting us. He's challenging this view of this is what the temple should be according to God. And in the hands of man, you have messed it up and done something different. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. Now here we see confrontational Jesus. He's angry. He's flipping tables. He's not mincing his words, and he's passionate. Now, I want to remind you, because I think that sometimes we create these either-or pictures, either this or that, this is still loving Jesus. In this moment, Jesus is expressing unbelievable love, but it is a reminder that sometimes Jesus is passionate love is confrontational. Sometimes it challenges things in our lives. Sometimes it challenges things in other people's lives. In this scenario, Jesus's love confronts hypocrisy, idolatry, apathy, injustice, and compromise. Now, the tendency is we can look at it and go, wow, those guys were the worst. Well, what are we having for lunch? 
But the invitation here is to go, is it possible that maybe Jesus is confronting some of that in us or in me? That Jesus is confronting hypocrisy, idolatry, apathy, injustice, and compromise. I want us as a community, for those of us that have surrendered to Jesus, to constantly be asking and specifically in this moment to ask, Jesus, are there areas you want to confront in my life? Are there ways that I have settled for something less? I've taken that which is meant to be holy and I've just turned it into something that is lesser than? Are there areas where I have distorted what you intended? Jesus is pointing out all of these areas in their life. And and so oftentimes I wonder, is it possible that he's trying to do, he's trying to speak to us and we're trying to avoid listening. We want nice guy Jesus, but, but we need confrontational and loving Jesus. Is it possible that Jesus is pointing out hypocrisy in your own life, where we say one thing and then do another? Do our actions actually match our beliefs? Is Jesus confronting our hypocrisy, your hypocrisy right now? Or maybe it's idolatry. Is our first love and our focus and our attention misplaced? We say it's Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I love you so much, but not as much as my children and not as much as my job and my success and not as much as my family and my friends and my schedule because I got a lot going on, Jesus. I love you, but only between the hours of 10 and 11.15 on a Sunday otherwise. Like there's real areas of idolatry in our lives. Or maybe it's apathy. Apathy and faith leaves us feeling cold and indifferent. And I want to ask you to raise your hands, but for so many of us, we have these seasons, and maybe you're in one right now, where that's where you feel cold and indifferent. I'm supposed to hear this and be moved, but I find myself just settling into some sort of other rhythm where I just feel, feel kind of apathetic. We were once passionate, and we have allowed ourselves to drift towards neutral. Can I just remind you, we almost never, I would say never, but let me just add the caveat of almost never, unintentionally drift towards health and growth. We almost never unintentionally grow or, or, or drift towards passionate faith. I have never, I've never met anyone that's like, I don't know, I just, I was really apathetic and then just accidentally I became passionate. There are people that are passionate when they first came to faith and then certain things may beat that out of them or challenge them, and then it's the real life of what does it look like to follow Jesus. But passion for most of us is cultivated by continually focusing on the things that matter and, and stewarding what we have and fixing our heart and, and stoking the fires in our soul for what matters. And some of us have allowed ourselves to become incredibly apathetic and neutral and thought that that was God's design for faith. Can I just tell you, it isn't. The world around us desperately needs Christians that actually do what Jesus says and actually live like it matters. Or maybe it's injustice. Maybe Jesus is confronting in each of us injustice. Maybe he wants to break our hearts for what breaks his. Like I wanna remind you, if we look at all the accounts of Jesus, that he was not happy when the poor were left poor and were not taken care of or were taken advantage of. Maybe the invitation for us is to respond in that way. Or is Jesus confronting compromise? 
in individual hearts and people right in this room where we've softened what we shouldn't, where we've tried to do Jesus plus other things. Let me give you a a theological word that I think is helpful for us to, to understand our cultural moment in 2023. Syncretism. Syncretism. See if you can use it in a sentence this week. I'll explain what it is. But syncretism. Syncretism is when we have a faith that is built of a bunch of other different faiths, not one. And so for many people as Christians, they're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And also kind of the secret or like some new age stuff. Um, Let me just as lovingly as I can say, uh, Jesus gave no room for that. Uh, And so when you're like, you know what, I just, I believe in Jesus But also, um, I just want to will all the best things for me. And then Jesus says things like, die to yourself. In this world, you will have troubles. And you're like, I reject that. You're like, well, Jesus said it. And so what we find ourselves doing is kind of making this mismatch or this, this mishmash of faith syncretism where we go, it's Jesus, plus like sprinkling little other things on it. And that is not okay, Now, the truth is all of us have areas where that is a challenge, and we have to actually invite Jesus to confront those things. It is Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus. And for for some of us, we have compromised in that where we've gone, you know what, not all this seems to be working the way that I think it should be. And and you go, I'm just going to try a little something else. Jesus is the way, the life, the truth. Some of you in this room right now have some areas in your inner life that you need confronted by Jesus. And my intention is not to be the one in here where you're like, wow, Tyler said that. I think he was talking directly to me. My intention is to say, if you would just invite him to show you and point out areas in your life where maybe you've settled for less, he will. And I'll fully admit that sometimes I avoid praying that prayer. It's like, oh, but it'll cost me something, and it's difficult, and what if you say something I don't like? I already feel nervous, but this is the way to life. The only way that we can experience everything that he, that he has is by w- being willing to let him investigate and confront and inhabit every area of our life. Some of you in the room right now Jesus is just waiting to flip some tables. Inside of, your, inside of your life, flipping some tables and going, let me just show you what this actually is doing. This is harming you. This is turning your life from a, a life of prayer and life to this den of thieves that is killing people and taking advantage of people and harming people. This is not what it should be. And he's whispering to you. Maybe he's knocking on the door of your heart right now and you're going like, I think he might be talking to me. Pay attention to that. Jesus confronted the religious, the hard-hearted, and the self-reliant. Maybe that's you. I'm willing to admit that there are areas in my life that that can be me and that part of this process of walking in is at every single turn that I notice that or more accurately if Lee notices it for me that I'm willing to actually go, God, I want more than that. I don't want to just settle into a rhythm. I don't want life my way. I want your way of life. I want all of it. 
And there's this illusion that there are somehow people that they've arrived and they're like, man, no, I'm great. I look like Jesus, act like Jesus, love like Jesus. But the people that I'm around that are like that are more aware of their need for Jesus, not less. More aware of their inadequacy, not less. More aware of their desperation and and the state of their heart than they are going, no, I'm great. It leads towards humility, not pride. Jesus is confrontational. I don't want to sugarcoat that, but that's not all he is. Jesus is confrontational, and he's also compassionate. See, notice that there's another group of people. So Jesus has just been flipping tables. He's upset. And in the next verse, in verse 14, it says this. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Like, what an interesting transition. So you go from, okay, so he's upset, den of thieves, he's flipping tables, and in the next verse, the, the, the blind and the lame came to Jesus and healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law in verse 15 saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. This is where we are reminded that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is our God. Jesus heals those who need him, the people who are willing to move toward him. Let me just remind you, the same voice that confronts the proud, that confronts difficulty, also brings healing to the hungry and the desperate and the humble. The same voice, they heard him upset and they were so drawn by his passionate love that they're going, I need you, heal me. Confrontational and compassionate. Jesus heals those who need him, who are willing to move toward him. Now, can I just remind you, this could be us. If we're willing to acknowledge our blindness, If we're willing to acknowledge, I can't just drag myself to where I need to be. I need you. Jesus can heal us. If we see areas in our life where we've settled for less, where we've settled into a rhythm that is not what he intends, he can heal us. And not just as a a concept, but but fully in profound and, and distinct ways that people actually see. We can experience healing when we come to this place of going, I need you, I have nothing left. That same voice that confronts can become a voice of compassion. Now, just imagine yourself in this scenario. So you're there as a fly on the wall. Jesus is flipping tables, and you're like, whoa, this is getting intense. But you're curious. You're like, I'm just going to watch what happens next. And so it's like he's flipping tables, and And the religious leaders aren't happy. And then this group of people come up to him and then they just start getting healed. Like if you're in that scenario, you're like, what is happening? Like imagine that happened in this room. I just imagine it. You you would be like, is this real? Is this real life? Like what, what is this? And even in this scenario, we, we, see, we see how this reveals the heart of the people that are in the room. Because notice the next verse, the leaders saw everything, and what was their response? They were indignant. 
Now, just in, in case indignant is not a word that you use a lot, anger or annoyance. Okay, so they see miracles happening, and they're like, this is wrong, and I'm so annoyed about it. You're like, wow, do you, do you think maybe there's some dysfunction in your heart? Yes, the same dysfunction that if we're not careful ends up in ours. And they asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Now here we see savage Jesus because Jesus is speaking to religious leaders and they aren't like us where they memorize a couple of verses sometimes out of context and use them. They're people that would memorize whole books of the Bible. Can you imagine that? I had some professors when I was doing my master's that were like, yeah, so uh, last year I memorized all of Romans and this year I'm, I'm like, what? The whole thing? The whole thing? Like, that's impressive. Now, part of it is understanding that this culture was verbal. So that's how they did it. They didn't have everything written down. It was verbal. But, but think about this. So Jesus is now speaking to a bunch of people that know their Bible. And what does he say to them? Haven't you read the scriptures? <laughs> it's like, do you see what's happening? He's like, yeah, haven't you read your Bible? And they're like, excuse me? Like, that, that's the part of Jesus that you'd be in the room going like, Burn! Right? You're like, man, Jesus. It's this beautiful reminder that our posture to Jesus, we see him, and, and he's always drawn with compassion to those that know that, he, he, he need, that we need him. But the people that come with this arrogant, prideful attitude, Jesus is not content with. If we look at all the times that he is upset with people, it's almost always those kind of people. And so it challenges some things in us. Because again, we put ourselves in the story. We're like, I'm the hero. I'd be the one that's like, yeah, Jesus, go get him. But the truth is, in our own life, we're often the ones that go, you know what, Jesus, if you could just leave me alone, that'd be great. I want to follow you on a Sunday, but that's it. I don't know that I really want to sacrifice like you're asking me to sacrifice. And, and he responds to this group of hard-hearted people. And he uses scripture. This is, again, this is the stuff you have to pay attention to in the Bible because I think we miss it. We're, we just kind of read it and we're like, yeah, so he flipped some tables and then moved on. There's so much depth in here. And this is one of the challenges for me, certainly as I'm preparing, is I have to go through and then go, what's helpful and what's just I get excited about and making sure that it's, it's things. But, but even for us to understand, so he responds with this burn. Have you ever read the Bible? And then quotes scripture back to them. Psalm 8, where he says, you've taught children and infants to give you praise. This is who God is. Now, here we find in this snapshot, confrontational and compassionate Jesus. And I just want to remind you again, those are not in opposition. Those are part of the whole. Passionate love requires confrontation and compassion. And if you look at Jesus' model, oftentimes he would meet people with compassion first and then confront in them, depending on their heart. And so for some of us, that's what he's doing, even right now. He's reminding us of who we are and who he says that he is, and he's encouraging us, but then he's knocking, going, will you let me lead? Will you let me be the one who guides now think, too, about all that's happening in this scenario because Jesus is doing all of this. He is, he's doing all that he's doing, and it's a week out from his death, and he knows that it's coming. 
And I thought that this was important. I think that God was communicating it was important because we're heading to Easter, and I have a strong pastoral sense that in, in preparation for that, that God has some things in each of us he needs to confront, that Jesus has some things in our heart that he wants to challenge as we prepare to be reminded of all that he's done for us and the sacrifice that he's made, that we don't do that with a heart of pride and comfort and just going like, I've been here before, I know what to expect, but instead this humility and hunger and desperate need for him. We need to confront every area in our life that dishonors Jesus. This is the process of becoming more and more shaped and formed into who he is. I, I often will talk about discipleship and the word we've used before that I think is helpful is apprenticeship. Because if you think about an apprentice, an apprentice learns from a master and they do what the master does. This is Jesus for us. But discipleship for me, I often think of it as an ongoing process of surrender. Ongoing. You, you can surrender and give it all and then find yourself at a point where God pokes and prods at some areas and, and then you go, oh, I have to surrender that too. Oh, I have to also give you that. And, and this process of deepening surrender where you're actually willing to let him invade every single area of our lives. If we are followers of the way of Jesus, we need to be willing to ask and respond to any areas that Jesus may want to confront. We have to invite that. We have to ask for that. Because if we're not careful, over time we become more and more like the religious leaders of the time. We, we become more and more like the people that think they have it all figured out and know what they do and less like the people that Jesus is drawn to that are blind and know it. For some of us, we're blind and we're trying to pretend that we can see. For some of us, we're disconnected, we're trying to pretend that we're connected. We, we don't have things where they need to be and we're trying to pretend. God is not drawn to pretend. God is drawn to the people that go, I am blind and lame and I can't do anything and I don't know and I need you. Same voice that confronts, I need your compassion, heal me. We lie to ourselves. We forget our desperate need for Jesus. One of the challenges of following Jesus over the long haul is continually cultivating that and, and not letting our hearts grow hardened and our pride getting in the way. This is why Easter is so important. This is why we've been encouraging and challenging people to invite others because we know that this message matters to the world that is around us. We're reminded that Jesus saw our desperate need and fallen condition and made a way for us. We see that Jesus suffered when we should have. We see that Jesus died on our behalf. We see that Jesus conquered death and offers us true healing, eternity with God where everything is made right. But it's important that we are reminded that the very way of Jesus as we head toward Easter is life after death. And in order for us to experience new life, there has to be death. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our old ways. We have to die to our old preferences. 
we have to die to the illusion that I somehow have control over my life or want it or should be the one that does this. We die to ourselves and then we pick up his cross and live with him. And he shows us the way of life. And everything that we've been stumbling around, scraping for, trying to find that satisfies us, he goes, come with me and find life that actually satisfies, life that actually matters. This is the message of Jesus. This is the center point of our faith, that where it seems to be death, it's actually resurrection life. And when hope seems dark, that's when, that's when God is at work. And so often we hear that and we know it intellectually and it just never moves into our life and behaviors. Here is the reality. We can't experience life unless there is death. And the only way that we experience true life is to allow Jesus, to invite Jesus to challenge and confront us and help us to put to death all the sin and areas in our life that are holding us Back to acknowledge that we are blind and we desperately need him. Here's the thing. I don't know where each of you are at. As I was prepping, I had certain things that I was thinking about, but there's no one person that I'm like, this is for you, and I'm just going to use the front to say it. What I believe is that there are some people in the room right now that, that know the areas in their life. And you're like, uh, he's talking to me. And more accurately, my prayer would be, Holy Spirit, talk. Be the one that speaks, not me. Maybe you need to ask right now, and you go, you know what I'm aware of? I have not asked for a really long time. Jesus, is there any area you want to confront? Like the parts that stood out to me from this section, maybe Jesus wants to confront in you hypocrisy. Maybe it's idolatry. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's injustice. Or maybe it's compromise. I want to remind you the same voice that brings healing to those that are hungry, humble, desperate is also the voice that, conf- that confronts and challenges the proud. And, and so I want, to invite you to, I want to invite you right now to even be asking, God, is there something? Jesus, is there something that you want to confront? And we want to give you a chance to respond. But maybe you're in the other group. Maybe you're in the other group that Jesus does show compassion to, the blind, the hungry, the ones who have deep need. Notice here, and this is a a beautiful pattern that that the blind and lame moved to Jesus, that they moved toward him. Maybe the invitation for you today is to take a step towards him. Maybe it's again to recognize your need and to move toward him. I want you to know that there can be healing for those who know their need. Now, that could be physical healing this morning. Like maybe some people in here are dealing with some things and and we'd love to pray for you and we'd love to ask God to heal. What I know to be true about healing is that sometimes God heals and sometimes he doesn't. I never know, I can't control God, but I wanna always be praying that he would and ask him. And we want as a community to pray. If you have needs, if you have physical needs where you're going, "I, I could use prayer, we would love to pray for you. Not just hypothetically, And not just like, oh, at some point this week we'll pray for you. We'd love to. We'll have the prayer team up here. We'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you. Pray for your healing. Maybe you have physical needs that you need healing for, or maybe you have spiritual needs that you need healing for. Maybe you need Jesus. Maybe you need to surrender to him for the first time or for the first time in a very long time. There's something drawing you to him. 
I want to invite you to take a step. Romans 10, 9, 9 to 11 says this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Openly declare that Jesus is Lord. At some level it's going, I can't do this on my own. I need you Someone who is a Lord covers everything, governs everything, and you're saying, I need you. Guide my life. I need you. Sometimes we can settle for, we want Jesus as a friend, but Jesus wants to be our Lord, surrendering our whole life to him. And so maybe today is the day that you declare that Jesus is Lord. Maybe today is the day that you surrendered to life, your life to him. Or maybe today is the day that you set a line in the sand and say, I am not going to continue to live the way that I was living. I want different. 